One more time, turn the Word of God. We are going to read from Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 to 22. We are going to read whole chapter this morning together. This is the word of the living God. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Kilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The names of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Mahlon and Kilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, and that she might return to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourself from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and the Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people. And to her gods, return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you, or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened. 
when they came when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. The woman said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. People of God, we will look at the doctrine of sovereignty, providence, through the life of family that lived almost 3,000 years ago. Time and places may change, but the scripture is still communicating us a timeless truth about God's character. That is, his providence over the all creation. First, let us look very fast. Let us look to look what we mean when we say providence. The word providence comes from Latin providentia, which means a compound uh, noun consists of two uh, two words. It pro means forward or on behalf, and vide means to see. So it simply means to see forward or to foresee. And it is exactly the same in Hebrew. For example, when we read from Genesis 22, verse 14, it is written, So Abraham called the name of that that place, the Lord will provide. The verb here, provide, means also to see. So Abraham says, the Lord will see. That's the meaning of the providence. So even it is very beneficial for us to know the etymology of this word, but we need to hear more because this doctrine places itself in the heart of our daily lives. So we rightfully want to learn more about God's providence because we have so many questions. So that's why we will trace God's providence and try to understand how God providentially works in his children's life through an ordinary family like many of us here today, which we just read from Ruth chapter 1. We will have two points this morning, understanding God's providence and secondly, embracing God's providence. So the book of Ruth is the story of ordinary people. There are no records of any major conflicts, stories, or war heroes in this book. Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz were just ordinary people like many of us here. They were just interested only living in a normal life, an ordinary life. And in this book, we read about how God uses ordinary people to accomplish his plan. Not just ordinary people, but people from other nations, exactly just he promised to Abraham. God's plan of redemption for his people is at work in this book. This is why the book of Ruth is so fascinating. 
You read about how God uses ordinary people like you and me to accomplish the history of redemption. So doctrine of the doctrine of the providence of God is engraved almost in every verse of this book. And the, both the writer and the main characters had a very profound understanding of God's providence. The book of Judges precedes the book of Ruth. So the time of Judges was full of chaos, war crimes, and bloodshed. And after all this turmoil, we come to the book of Ruth, where none of these things are recorded. So when we read the book of Ruth right after the Judges, we might think that the history also progresses as we change one book to another. However, the first word of Ruth indicates that everything we read in the book of Ruth, it actually takes place in the time of Judges. And time of Judges, what kind of time was it? And time of Judges 21, 25 gives us exactly the context of the book of Ruth. It is written, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That was the context of, the, this is the context of the book of Ruth as well. So this brings us to our first point, understanding God's providence. When we read the first five verses of Ruth chapter 1, we come across with a very tragic sojourn story. In these verses, we first, the first event that we encounter is the famine in the promised land. And Elimelech, as the head of the family, he decides, decides to go to the land of Moab because, as we just read, everyone did what was right in his own eye in those times. Elimelech thought, okay, this is, this is good for my family, so I should better leave the promised land and go to land of Moab to find bread. But the first verse, the very first word, begins with an irony. Because Bethlehem means the house of bread or granary. But this house is lacking bread. People are hungry here. They cannot find bread in the house of bread. And we don't know how long Elimelech planned to leave there. Because the word we, we read from the Bible, soldiers may refer to temporary dwelling or the permanent dwelling. We, we are not sure what he planned. But they, what we can know, they traveled seven to ten days to east from Bethlehem to the land of Moab, from the other, the other side of the Jordan River. But the interesting thing is, there is no famine there. Once they traveled seven days or ten days to Moab, we don't mention the famine there. They have bread. They, they have plenty to share with, with foreigners even. So this, of course, was not a random event, people of God, because that's exactly what we read in Heidelberg Catechism, question and 727. Rain and drought come to us, not by chance, but by God's fatherly hand. The famine was most likely was a result of disobedience of God's people to God's commandment. Because in Deuteronomy 28, 23, and 24, 
records that famine was one of the covenant curses. It was a result of covenant, uh, Israel's covenant breaking with God. That is one of the covenant curses. And rather than asking God for forgiveness, rather than solving problem with God, who sent this famine, Israel had, Israel had did what was right in their eyes, like Elimelech. He decided to go to Moab rather than seeking forgiveness from the Lord. Elimelech might have thought that they left the worst situation behind when they left Bethlehem for Moab. But the tragic sojourn story doesn't end here. Elimelech dies in this foreign land. And Naomi is left. She was left with two sons. So even though the Bible doesn't prohibits Israel to marry Moabites, it prohibits Moabites to enter the assembly of the Lord. But yet, these two sons, they took Moabites' wives. They married them. And they spent 10 years years there. But we don't know how long they were married. But what we can know, they also die. So Naomi, now a widow, widow woman, without sons, which is equivalent of being homeless in our time. If you were a widow without sons, you would be considered homeless. So she, she has nothing left and no hope for her anymore. She had the lowest status in the society. So people of God, think about 10 years from now on. What kind of plans do you have? What are you excited about when you think about 10 years from now? What do you hope to accomplish? We all have plans. We all have hopes. And we will do our best to fulfill them. But honestly, we don't know where we'll be. And how we will be in 10 years. Sometimes we think that we have the controls of our lives. And we can do whatever we like to do. But we may forget a very crucial fact that God is in control of our lives. We tend to forget that very often. Listen to Jesus, what he says us in this parable. The land of a rich man produced plentifully and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere, now, nowhere, nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build a larger ones. And there I will store, store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Even though we forget, we tend to forget who is in control of our lives, God is his own ways to remind us constantly. So when Naomi hears that God has visited, visited his people. Or in other words, God has, the Hebrew, God has come to aid his people. 
Naomi decides to return to the promised land, the homeland. From verse 6 to 22, the verb return is used 12 times. The verb is the main verb for repentance as well. And the verb is not randomly used 12 times in these 16 verses, brothers and sisters, because it gives us a clue about Naomi's intention. She is seeking repentance as well as seeking to return. She is seeking to hope to make a peace with God. This is her attention as well as she wants to be there as, as well, but she wants repentance. But what we, what we read that she was not going to travel alone. As a homeless woman in our day standard, she had nothing to offer her daughters-in-law. She could be, she could be uh, behave selfishly. She could be selfish and ask her daughters-in-law, come with me. I will provide you this. I will provide you that. But she's honest. And she tells them, go to your home because I have nothing to offer you. I have nothing to give you. In the darkest, in her darkest time, Naomi acknowledges that Yahweh, the great I am, the covenant-keeping God, has the control of her life. And she knows that nothing happens by chance. So what I'm trying to picture you, for you people of God, not just Ruth in the story, but Naomi is also displays a very godly character in her darkest time. As Naomi endeavors to convince her daughter-in-law to return to their families, she finds herself to face a very stubborn Ruth. After uh, saying to her four times, finally, finally Ruth answers. And we read one of the most remarkable examples of Hebrew poetry and one of the loftiest expression of commitment in Scripture. And in verse 18, we read about Ruth's determination. We can also translate it as solid rock. That is also how we can say in Hebrew. She was like solid rock. She was bold. She was standing strong then when she said these words. So, but why? Let us think. Why did she say these words? What do you think? What was the reason she said these words? The answer is faith. The the true faith that makes you like a solid rock. Even in the worst time of your life. Not just because he loved Naomi. He answered it because of her faith. Ruth was convinced that Yahweh was the only true God of the universe. And he was alone worthy to worship. She was convinced that Yahweh is the only sovereign God. And she completely surrounds herself to Yahweh. And in result to Naomi, 
The Lord has taken her husband. The Lord has taken his father-in-law, brother-in-law. And now she has to leave that everything she knows, her family, her friends, her land, the world that she knows. How can you explain the situation? And we, can, we can give only one answer. She said this words because of faith. And Hebrews 11 verses 9 to 10, we read this about Abraham. But we can also apply it to Ruth as well. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in the tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundation, whose designer and builder is God. Ruth was looking for the city. Ruth was looking for the same city that Abraham was looking. So she clings this promise and surrounded herself. Because, brothers and sisters, Ruth knew that God prepared her a better city. Ruth says, this God is my God, and nothing can change this. This is her response to the events that happened in her life. This is his response. This is her response to God's sovereignty. Even though Ruth didn't have the Bible in her hand, but Romans 8.28 was engraved on her heart. She knew that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Today, you have been saved by the same faith, by faith alone and Christ alone, by the same Redeemer that Abraham waited and Ruth hoped to see. So what is your response to the events in your life? What would be your response if God disciplines you according to his good purpose? Would you still say, this God is my God, and only that parts me from my God. This is what Jesus Christ did for you, dear brothers and sisters. Even death was not enough to separate us from Jesus, from Jesus Christ. He endured even the death in order to save us. For God has loved us so much. So let's let us think about, let us meditate on that for a moment. Will you be able to say the same thing as Ruth said? What will be your response in the times of troubles? And in verse 19, Naomi and Ruth arrive in Bethlehem. But, but this is only a sorrowful return. Bethlehem was a very small town, maybe populated not more than 200 people. So everyone knew everybody in this town. So that's why the whole town goes up to welcome Naomi. But they didn't expect to see Naomi like that. Naomi doesn't hide her bitterness against God when people come to see him. But three things, really fast, three things worth mentioning, the Naomi answer. First, he contrasts his first 
uh, when she left 10 years ago, and the 10 years later, she said, I was full when I left. So when she left 10 years ago, she had a family and she had bread. Now she calls herself empty. So for her, emptiness and fullness is, is about having family and to have a full stomach. And secondly, she calls, in Hebrew, she calls the Lord El Shaddai. This is another irony in chapter 1 because El Shaddai is a title for the true God, for the true God often with a focus on the power to complete promises of blessings and prosperity. So it was connected to God's blessings. When in the Bible, when people use El Shaddai, it's always referred to God's many blessings that he has given his people. And lastly, Naomi knows that nothing happened by chance. Even she is bitter, even her heart aches, but she knows that nothing happens by chance. By faith, Naomi understood the providence of God. But her heart became bitter. And when we have decided that God is against us, we usually exaggerate our, hope, our situation, our hopelessness. And this is what is happening here. Naomi knows that God is against her, but she exaggerated. She behaves like she wasn't the one who decided to leave the land of Judah. She doesn't remember the many mistakes she did in her life. She doesn't remember the marrying her two sons to Moabites. She doesn't remember anything, but she only blames God. She doesn't even realize that God gave him a daughter who will be more than seven sons. She doesn't see anything because she exaggerates her hopelessness. So, this brings us to our second point, embracing God's providence. But first, let me tell you, dear brothers and sisters, a very crucial fact that the God is not the author of sin. God is not the author of sin. And scripture is very clear about that. And James says, let no one says, when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. That is very clear. Let us go to Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 3. That's what we read. God from all eternity did by the wisest and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so, and as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty of or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. And I would like to expand our second point on the basis of Heidelberg Catechism, question answer 28. So first of all, Heidelberg Catechism says, being patient in adversity. And throughout the scripture, what we read about that God uses adversities in our life to make us stronger, make us better believers. For example, James says, you know that the testifying of your faith produces steadfastness. Or Paul says, we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that the suffering produces endurance. 
So God uses sufferings and adversities in our life to make us better Christians or more like turns us to his son, likeness of his sons. And we learn from the Bible that this is a tool that God uses in our life. This is not from the devil. This is not from other people. These adversities, sufferings are from God, might be from God. So when we look at our text, we exactly we have a perfect example to compare. We have Ruth and we have Naomi. How they behave in their adversities. Both they knew that God is sovereign. However, Naomi becomes all bitter in her, in her pains and fails to see how God is still working in her life. But on the other hand, we have Ruth. Ruth was so much more aware of things that were invisible. As we read in 2 Corinthians, by faith, Ruth was not looking to things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. This is the differences that we can re- we, we, uh, come, up, come across with Ruth chapter 1. And Dear brothers and sisters, how often do we act like Naomi rather than Ruth? How easily do we make our hearts bitter against God when we face adversities? We can easily pray, your will be done in my life. But when God acts, when God works in our life, how quickly can we blame God? And on the other hand, we read about Ruth, who lost a husband, relatives, friend, and she has to live in a foreign land. But Bible says she was like a solid rock. She was like a solid rock. Why? Because she knew that the Lord is strong enough to provide in every situation. She knew that by faith... She knew that if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? She knew that even before Jesus Christ said to this 2,000 years later. Secondly, let us look at being thankful in prosperity. Thankfulness is one of the most remarkable mark in Christian life. So God wants us to be thankful in every situation. And he tells us this repeatedly. So we must never forget that everything we have is given by God. Everything belongs to God. So if we understand this, understand this really by heart, we can also join Job and say, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And this is also reflected in our passage. Again, Naomi and Ruth, we can compare them again, brothers and sisters. Because one thing we must realize that, which is Ruth also realized it, as written in 1 Corinthians 6, 
The Spirit says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. So even our bodies do not belong to us. And God created to glorify his name. But this world teaches us the opposite, right? The world teaches us, my house, my body, my money, my time, and my, and my, and my. We can easily forget that we are not the ones controlling our lives. And when we are reminded this truth, we cannot deal with it. We find ourselves completely vulnerable and naked. But beloved, let us not forget that God has the ultimate control of our life. And this is good for us. This is good that God has in control for us. And thirdly, lastly, let us not forget that being confident in love which is a last emphasis in the Lord's Day question and answer 27, Lord's Day 10 question and answer 28. Being confident in love. Beloved, let me remind you what happens when you're confident in God's love. You speak and live like Ruth. You become a solid rock if you, really, if you are really confident in God's love. Your eyes would be fixed on the promises of God rather than the situations. It's not going to be easy. It might be the hardest thing in your life to do it. But if you are confident in God's love, you will be thankful and you will be a solid rock in every situation. And you will be able to confess these truths by the grace of God. So when we read the rest of the book, we read about how God blesses Naomi and Ruth in chapter 2 to 4, and how he uses these ordinary people to accomplish his the history and his plan, his the plan of redemption. And we read about God's providence unveiled in chapter 2 to 4. El Shaddai continues to form the royal lineage through Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. And we know that who comes from this lineage? Our Savior, who was giving the highest name, who was giving the title, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And because of God's providence, we are here today witnessing the same History, the same story. We are part of the same story with Ruth today. Christ Jesus came from this lineage to save us, to save all of us. That's why we are sitting today and we are made heirs of the same promise. We are witnessing the same promise. So dear brothers and sisters, There is no one millisecond that God is not sovereign. If God is not sovereign, we would have no hope. 
we wouldn't be here. So this is a great confidence that God has control in our life, over creation. As our Redeemer says from Matthew 7, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be a likewise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and the beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord of heavens and earth, you regard the lovely, but the proud you know from afar. May your Holy Spirit imply your words into our hearts and help us to be humble before your holy throne. Amen. <laughs>